Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with possessing what God has given, as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. I think that there's an unfortunate parallel in our lives. I don't think that we ever possess all that God has for us or all that God would do for us. It's there. All we have to do by faith is go in and claim it and take it, and yet all of us come short of the glory of God, that which God would do for us if we would just step in and take. It's tragic that when the borders were so expanded by God and all you have to do is possess it, that they failed to possess all that God had given, even as it's tragic that we so often fail to possess all that God has given. Now, many times we fail to possess for different reasons, intellectual limitations, restrictions that we have placed upon God by our presuppositions. So many reasons why we fail to enter into the fullness that God has for our lives. There will be no one that will be able to stand before you because God is going to be with you. But he said, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord, a curse if you will not obey. That's always the way it is. God sets before you the blessing and the curse. It's your choice. You can choose the path of God's blessing in your life. You can choose a path that will lead to God's curse upon your life. Now, it isn't that God curses you. It is the curse is already on that manner of life. God is warning you that that manner of life will, has a curse already upon it. Now, if you are constantly warning a person that the path that he is taking is leading to a pit of quicksand. And as he's going down the path, everyone he meets says, oh, be careful, down the pathways there's a pit of quicksand. You can't go past it. And the guy keeps going. And as he gets there, someone says, hey, be careful, don't go out there, that's quicksand. You'll, you'll get lost, you know, you'll, you'll suck in. But he ignores all the warnings. He continues on that path. And he gets mired in the quicksand and and gets caught in it and goes under. And as he's going under, he curses all of the people that he met along the path for not stopping him. Is that right? Of course it isn't. They warned him where the path was leading. Now look, God has warned you where your path is leading. If you disobey him, if you rebel against him, God said, hey, that path is leading to destruction. And he warns you all the way along the path. Now, if you go to destruction, it isn't that God sent you there. It's that you deliberately went there against all of God's endeavors to keep you from there. Actually, Jesus Christ, in a sense, has laid down before the gate of hell. And you've got to cross over his body to get there. You've got to trample underfoot the Son of God and count the blood of his covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing to get into hell. He's done everything to stop you, lying right down in your path, making you tramp over him. 
to get there. And if you end up there, you surely can't blame God or you can't blame Jesus. You can only blame your own stubborn rebellion against God. For God did all that he could short of the violation of your will to stop you from going. I've set before you a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey, a curse if you don't obey. When you get in the land, put these blessings. The blessings on Mount Gerizim, put the curse on Mount Ebal. Now when you come into the land, the middle of the land, the area where Abraham first came, the place where Jacob lived for such a time, dug a well. Right there in the area of Shechem, on the south side is Mount Gerizim. On the north side is Mount Ebal. And when they came into the land, some of the men were to go up at the top of Mount Gerizim. And they were to shout to the people who were in this valley between these two mountains, shout down to them the blessings of the land and the conditions of blessings. And as these men would shout down, blessed be ye in the field, the people say, amen. And in your cities, amen. And, and they, would, they would shout down, these blessings. But on Mount Ebal, there was another bunch of guys that were shouting the curses that would come to them if they disobeyed. So on Gerizim, the blessing was placed, and they would shout down to the people in the valley, the people would consent, amen, amen. And, and from Ebal, the curses were pronounced, and again, the consenting, yes, that's right, that's right, amen, amen, so be it. So that must have been quite an experience. Now, I've been in Yosemite when I was a kid, and they used to have the firefalls, and... Uh, you know, up on the top of Glacier Point, the guys would just say, are you ready, Camp Curry? You know, and the voice, you'd hear it over the Seventy Valley, and the guy down below would yell, we're ready, Glacier Point, let the fire fall. You know, and then you'd see the beautiful firefalls in the evening. Unfortunately, they don't have those anymore. They were absolutely spectacular. But even as those guys were up on the top of, of Glacier Point and down in the valley, you could hear their voices. So it was in Israel. It must have been a very remarkable and, and moving experience to have a million or so people filling this valley and this bunch of guys up on the top of Mount Gerizim calling down upon them the blessings of God if they would walk and obey and keep the commandments of God, the things that God would do for them, and then to hear the warnings of God from the other side. It was meant to be impressed in their minds so that they wouldn't forget, but unfortunately, they forgot. In chapter 12, he gives the conditions whereby they should enjoy the blessings within the land. First of all, they are to utterly destroy all of the places where the people that inhabited the land worshipped. They were to destroy all of the groves, all of the high places, all of the altars, all of the gods that they served. Everything was to be utterly obliterated so that they would not have any curiosity or memory of their gods at all. Overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, cut down the graven images, and destroy the names of them out of the place. 
you shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord God shall choose out of all of the tribes to put his name, there shall his habitation shall ye seek, and thither shalt thou come. Now, God says, when you come into the land, then I'm going to appoint a place for you to come to worship. And you're not to just worship me any place in the land. You're not to worship me on the hilltops and in the groves and so forth. Now, of course, the Greeks always play, took the, the hill, and they always worshiped God on the tops of the hills, the Acropolises, the outcroppings, and those high places within the city is always where the Greek temples were built. And so it was a common custom in, in, in ancient religious systems to, to build altars on the top of mountains, places of worship, or to plant groves and to worship in these groves. But the worship of their gods was always a very licentious type of a worship based around the sexual reproduction abilities because the, the mystery of life and the creation of life in reproduction was something that was always an awe and a wonder and a mystery to them, which, of course, it is a very beautiful mystery. They were closer to it than we are. They were closer to birth and closer to life in, in many ways than we are. And, and to them, it was an awe and it was wonder. And thus, they worshiped the reproduction principles and the capacities of reproduction. And, and their worship of their gods often involved relationships designed for reproduction and so forth. It was just a part of the whole corrupt system of worship in, in their corruption of God, making God like a creature and uh, like unto man. Which thing actually is, is done by the Mormons in a sense that their, their God is, is as a man coming to earth with one of his celestial wives and reproducing in, in a human manner the first uh, people and so forth. And even as the Mormons themselves will be gods and go out and, and reproduce. Uh, so that there's a similarity there. Now I will choose a place when you come into the land. You're not to just worship God anywhere. And thither shall you bring your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, and freewill offerings, and so forth. You shall not do after all of the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. For ye are not as yet come to the rest, to the inheritance that the Lord your God gives you. Now, right now, you, you worship God, every man just does what he should feel, but you haven't yet come into the rest of the inheritance. But when you go over Jordan to dwell in the land, which God is going to give you to inherit, and he gives you rest, your enemies round about and you're dwelling safely, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there, and thither shall you bring all that I command you. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now God wants you to rejoice before him. I feel sorry for those churches where the people feel inhibited to worship or rejoice in the Lord, where their worship is so solemn that there isn't real rejoicing in your heart. I, I love to just have that neat kind of hilarity that we can have in rejoicing in the Lord as we thank God and praise God for his goodness. And God wanted the people just to rejoice in him. He wants you to rejoice in him. But he was going to establish a place. Now, the place, first of all, was in Bethany, but then later, 
they moved it to Jerusalem, and this is the place that God chose. And there the temple was finally built, the place that was chosen by God in the land where the people were to come and to worship God. Now, take heed that you don't offer burnt offerings to God in every place that you see. In other words, they weren't to be offered anywhere in all the land, but there at the place that was appointed by God. Now, you may kill and eat meat wherever you live. You get hungry for meat, go ahead and eat it. Have a feast. But most of the time, they would offer what they ate to God as a peace offering. And having offered it unto God as a peace offering, then they would get the, the, the lamb or the ox or whatever would be offered to God as a sacrifice, a peace offering. But in the peace offering, you got it back. You offered it to God. They took and burnt the fat and so forth unto God as a sweet-smelling savor and uh, all the neat barbecue kind of smell going up. And you, though, got to eat the meat. You, you, you'd sit down and eat with God, just have a great time and fellowship with God. God ate part of it. Uh, it was sacrificed and went up in the smoke and a burnt offering to God, and now you're sitting down, and the idea was eating with God, communing with God. So most of the time, you're going to go ahead and have uh, lamb for dinner. Great. You take that lamb down to the priest, let him offer it as a sacrifice to God, and then you go ahead and roast the thing, and you're eating with God. And, it, and so you had the consciousness of fellowshipping with God whenever you ate meat. The idea that I'm eating with God, I'm fellowshipping with God, I'm communing with God in, in the eating processes. And, and it was a very beautiful thing. Now, when they're going to be in the land and they're going to be scattered all over the land, they won't be able to bring the ox all the way down. Every time they want to eat meat, you can't go all the way to Jerusalem. So eat it in your cities. You can go ahead and just, but don't offer it as a sacrifice to God. You're not to make a burnt offering of it. Only when you come to Jerusalem was it to be offered in, as a burnt offering. So when you come to Jerusalem, then you would go through offering it unto the Lord and then eating of it. However, they were never to eat the blood, but they were to pour it out on the earth as water. Uh, and this was to be a perpetual thing with them, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and they were thus to thoroughly bleed all of the meat and before they would eat it. And so he tells them the kind of animals that they can eat within their gates, anything that their hearts desire, uh, of, the, of the clean animals. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God, if you offer them as an offering, heave offering, free will offering, peace offering, then you've got to eat it in the specified place that God has commanded. Thou shalt rejoice before the Lord. Again, he tells you that. In all that you put your hands unto, and when the Lord thy God shall enlarge thy border as he has promised, and you shall say, I will eat flesh because my soul longs to eat flesh, you may eat flesh wherever your soul desires after it. Only again, be sure you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life with the flesh. Now observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee. Take heed to thyself that you're not snared by following after the gods of the land that you're going in to possess. What a trap. 
the worship of these gods became to the people. The curiosity that you might say, how did these nations serve their gods? Now, God says, I don't want you even to be curious about it. Just utterly destroy it and don't wonder curiously, well, how did they worship? You know, there is a strange curiosity that some people have uh, concerning some of the religious systems. Well, how do they worship? And, and it's dangerous to, to inquire into spiritism, spiritualism and all, to just find out what they do. It's a, it's a bad curiosity. It's a dangerous curiosity. It can become a snare to you. Thou shalt not do unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination unto the Lord which he hates have they done. They've done every abominable, hateful thing. Everything that God hates, they've done unto their gods. For they have even burned their sons and daughters in fire unto their gods. Human sacrifice, infant sacrifice was very common. Burning their children in the fire, heating their little gods until they were glowing hot and then putting their children in the outstretched arms of the little iron idols and letting them just fry to death as, as they worshiped their gods. God said, every abominable thing that I hate, they've done in the worship of their gods. You're not to do it. You're not even to be curious. Now, everything that I command you, observe it. Thou shalt not add to it or diminish from it. Now, over and over, God warns us about adding to or taking away from that which he has commanded. Now in chapter 13, the warning against false prophets. If a man comes in and does some kind of a sign or a wonder, and he's a dreamer of dreams or a prophet, and he gives you some kind of a sign and it comes to pass, but if that man would then lead you to worship other gods, you're to put him to death, even though he may have been able to work some miracle. Now, let me say that there is a strange fascination that we seem to have towards supernatural things. But this can be a dangerous fascination because someone is able to bring to pass some kind of a phenomena for which there is no scientific explanation does not necessarily follow that that phenomenon comes from God. Satan is a deceiver, and he is able also to create all kinds of spectacular phenomena. Thus, we are not to be drawn to phenomena and use phenomena as a criteria for truth. The person who is seeking after miracles is on dangerous territory. For when the Antichrist comes, he is going to come with lying signs and miracles that he's able to work before the people. There is an unhealthy absorption in miracles in many people's lives. You need to become thoroughly absorbed in Jesus Christ. There you'll have no problem. You'll see the miracles, the miracles that he'll work in your life, the miracles that he'll work through your life. But we should not really be
be putting a lot of emphasis and, and attention and concern in the seeing of miracles, for Satan is able to use them as a tool to deceive. So here were prophets. They were able to give a sign or a wonder. It would come to pass, but then they would lead them to worship other gods. He said, put them to death. For your Lord God proves you to know whether or not you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and reverence him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave to him. Now, if one of your family, a brother, a son, a daughter, even a wife, should seek to lead you to worship another god. God said you're to put them to death, and yours shall be the first hand against them. You're not to hide it or hide their sin, even though you love them. Turn with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 11 through 13 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord enrich you in all good things in Christ Jesus. May he fill you with the knowledge of his love and his grace. And may you walk in fellowship with him. And may the Lord continue his work in your life as he draws you unto himself, as he cleanses you through his word, as he fits you and prepares you for that work that he would have you to do and touching the needy world around you. God bless you, and God strengthen you, and keep you ever in his love and in his will. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts, but we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. 
Calvary Chapel family. May you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.